And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Welcome to episode 59 of Charlie's Geek Cast. I am your host, Charlie Neymar. Today, we are traveling once again back to 1983 to take a look at another Superman comic, this time Superman number 389. And I will get right to that after this promo break. Charlie's Geek Cast will return after these promos. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It- Richard, Richard Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Oh, you don't know about me and him? Me and Superman? We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. All right, Superman number 389 had a cover date of November 1983, an on-sale date of August 11th, 1983, and a cover price of 60 cents. The cover on this is by Gil Kane, and it's very orange, which I suppose would help grab your attention at the newsstand. While the lower part of the cover does sort of depict something that happens in the issue, the upper part shows Superman with a weird look on his face, and it looks like he's in the sun based on the stuff behind him. Other than Superman's face, the art looks pretty good here. Superman has quite a bit of detail, while the rest of the image is a bit looser, and the lack of much background probably helped make this a fairly quick cover. The title is Brother Act. Plot by Kerry Bates. Script by Paul Kupperberg. Pencils by Kurt Swan. Inks by Dave Hunt. Lettered by Ben Oda. Colored by Anthony Tallinn. And edited by Julie Schwartz. With Superman, of course, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. We begin near a construction site with a mysterious stranger in a phone booth trying to get a hold of Clark Kent but the operator seems to be having trouble with his request. While he argues, another mysterious stranger uses a nearby wrecking ball to try to eliminate the man in the phone booth. Fortunately, a certain man of steel just happens to be flying by, and while he's too late to prevent the ball from making contact with the phone booth, he is able to vaporize the ball with heat vision and use super suction to draw the debris up to him and vaporize it with heat vision as well. With our stranger saved, A shout from the construction site gets Superman's attention. While he investigates, the stranger leaves. At the construction site, we learn that Jed, the crane operator, had been knocked out from behind, and suddenly we have a mystery on our hands. Elsewhere, Agent Eagle makes contact with his bosses to report his failure. 
Obviously, his bosses are none too pleased, though, and he redoubles his effort to eliminate his target. Meanwhile, at the WGBS building, Lois and Lana are riding an elevator together, laughing and apologizing about their fight last issue. As they're leaving, they pass a mysterious stranger who is apparently quite handsome, because not only do they both give him a long look, but so does the receptionist which, when he asks to see Clark Kent. While there, Jimmy and Justin walk around the corner and Justin recognizes the stranger. As our stranger runs off, Justin gives chase, wanting nothing more than his mere autograph. But the stranger jumps out a window, using his trench coat as a glider to glide across the street to another roof, where he promptly, literally, runs into Superman. Realizing he can trust Superman, the stranger removes the wig and rubber mask and prosthetics he is wearing to reveal that he is Agent Corey Rewald. Now, unless you managed to read The New Adventures of Superboy 19 from a couple of years earlier, you may not know who this is. See, before they found and adopted Clark, the Kents had adopted a juvenile delinquent named, as you may have guessed, Corey Raywald, or Rewald. Thanks to them, he grew up to be a good, upstanding citizen who ended up becoming who ended up becoming a U.S. double agent. Clark first met Corey in his Superboy days, although they never actually met, while he was on an undercover assignment posing as a Russian agent. Anyway, Corey doesn't remember any of this. All he remembers is waking up in an alley with the back of his suit jacket smoldering and smoke billowing from a nearby building. Then he found himself getting shot at and hit in a laundry truck, where he apparently found no ID, but did find a wad of cash in his pockets. So he bought some less cinched clothing, and apparently a disguise kit, and tried to keep moving so that whoever was after him couldn't find him. He isn't sure why he needed to see Clark, but the name was one of the few still in his head, and after seeing him on the news, he knew Clark was someone he could trust, and who would be able to help him. As Superman drops him off at Clark's apartment, we switch to WGBS, where Lana, looking for Clark, runs into a rather chipper Perry White, who is looking forward to patching things up with his wife over dinner at the poshest restaurant in town. As he walks off and Lana resumes her search, we then go to the Pentagon, where Superman learns that Corey is now a former agent, accused of being a traitor and selling secrets to enemy agents. However, Superman's sudden interest in Rewald garners suspicions, and when Superman declines to report what he knows, he heads back to Metropolis, fully expecting a warrant to be issued for his arrest for harboring a criminal. Returning to his apartment, Corey tells him that seeing a picture of Clark with the Kents has restored his memory. See, what had happened was that he got a phone call in his hotel room telling him that a bomb with a three-second fuse had been activated. He managed to dive out the window in time, but hit his head on the fire escape, hence the amnesia. After Corey confirms that he's been framed, Clark tries to convince him to turn himself in. Feeling that he can't do that until he clears his name, Corey hits Clark with a judo chop, which Clark rolls with so Corey do doesn't break his hand. Now, normally Clark would change to Superman and chase after Corey, but thanks to a news bulletin, he's just learned of an overturned Ramtrak tanker, Amtrak, haha, that is spilling toxic waste and threatening a nearby town with deadly fumes, which is definitely a job for Superman. Outside, Corey is hit with a tranquilizer dart and taken away. But upstate, Superman covers the small town with an airtight dome, then uses his flying around in circles at super speed trick to draw the fumes up into space where they harmlessly dissipate. Meanwhile, Corey has been taken across the bay from Metropolis, which I believe in pre-Crisis DC should put him in Gotham City, but that isn't mentioned here. While Corey is loaded into a remote-controlled drone, 
Agent Eagle explains that his bosses have big plans for him and others, including the President of the United States. Framing him for treason was just to lend credibility for sending him on what appears to be a kamikaze mission in a drone full of explosives. Coming to, coming to just as the drone is launched, Corey finds that since it's operated remotely, he can't do anything to divert the drone. However, Superman arrives just in time, but his vision powers show him that the drone is rigged to explode if he tries to pry the cockpit open, so he forces it down into the water. I'm guessing to help muffle the explosion. He then pries the cockpit open and manages to get Corey away from the explosion in time. While Superman is thankful that he'd been able to use his super hearing to keep track of Corey's heartbeat, Corey is ready to turn himself in now that he's got proof of the frame-up. Epilogue 1, later that night at the La Petite Fromage. And it appears that poor Perry has been stood up by his wife. Epilogue 2, out in deep space, a comet speeds along at tremendous speed, and at the heart of the comet is the apparently unconscious form of Vartox. Next issue, Lana Lang's romance with Clark Kent is split asunder by Vartox? Alright, jumping into the notes for this issue, we look at page 3, where despite Superman drawing the shards of glass and wood toward him and vaporizing, with, vaporizing them with his heat vision, our stranger is still surrounded by a lot of debris. There must have, this must have been the debris of like six phone booths. I know that's a common trick in comics and animation, but still. Page six. Lana and Lois act like the fight was pretty much Lois's fault here, but it was only because she was antagonized by Lois, if I recall correctly. Also, our stranger suit, which appeared to be green earlier in the story, is now a light brown. On page seven, I would love to know who Justin thinks he sees since no one else recognizes Corey in a dis disguise, and it is Corey in a disguise. On page 8, once Corey lands on the other roof, his suit is green again, despite it being light brown in the half-splash on the previous page. Page 14, I'm surprised that after all his years as a hero, Superman isn't trusted more by the general at the Pentagon. Alright, so page 15, we have Corey's flashback. He's wearing a green suit here when he leaps from the hotel room. However, in the flashback on page 10, Corey's suit was a reddish-brown when he wakes up. Someone isn't keeping track of this suit. Page 16. Clark's x-ray vision reveals that Corey has not yet fully recovered from his head wound, but this fact is never mentioned again. Page 18. I guess super speed would explain how Superman had time to make this dome, but we never actually see him remove it. I would think that the people would run out of air, or it would get really hot in there, so I assume he does this off-panel. Page 20, Agent Eagle keeps making it sound like the drone that Corey is in will also kill the president. But the drone is headed towards Metropolis, and there's been no mention anywhere in this issue that the president is in town. Despite multiple check-ins at WGBS, I would imagine if the, that if the president was in Metropolis, it would be big news enough for it to be, you know, kind of a major plot point in the issue. Page 22. No mention of picking up or trying to go after the enemy agents that framed Corey. So unless the chip in his head that records everything he sees and hears is still working properly after all these years, which you think it would also make it easier for him to clear his name with the CIA and for the CIA to find him since he's on the run, Corey and Superman have no actual proof of Corey's innocence here. 
Also, Superman mentions that the few seconds between prying open the cockpit and the actual explosion was plenty of time for a side trip to the moon before freeing Corey. I'm not sure if that's a side comment to tell us what he could do in just a few seconds, or if he actually did that and came back in between panels. It's kind of confusing. Page 23, the reader gets to feel the same way as Perry here. Earlier, I was pretty happy that things to be, seemed to be going Perry's way, and that his marital troubles would soon be behind him, despite us not actually seeing the Whites work through their problems together. Instead, he gets stood up, and you can really feel his sadness and his depression. He doesn't want to admit it, and he doesn't want to leave and give up hope that his wife will, will appear. You're also left to wonder just what the problems are that they both seem to be avoiding each other so much. Also, for our second epilogue, Vartox is coming back and is supposed to be ruining Clo uh, Lana and Clark's relationship. Which, admittedly, we haven't really seen much of lately since she's been in the Middle East. I haven't read the next issues yet as I record this, but based on the blurb, it feels like they're starting to set things back to the old status quo. If they do break up, I hope we see some aftermath, both for Lana and Clark. You know, sadness, depression, having a hard time working together, maybe. That kind of thing. Then again, they may not break up. I don't know. Overall, despite some of the plot questions and the coloring errors, I found this to be a rather enjoyable issue. Copperberg's scripting kept everyone in character, but it didn't feel as much like a bait story, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Some of Carrie's recent stories have felt like someone took an old-fashioned Carrie Bates story, maybe from the early 70s or the mid-70s or the late 70s, and glued some of the subplot stuff in to kind of that they're trying to use to freshen things up a bit. This issue felt smoother. It had a good flow and things felt more integrated. It felt more like a nice middle ground between Bates and Wolfman, and I like that. Next issue, Elliot S. Magan is going to be doing the scripting over a Bates plot, so we'll see how that goes. For the most part, I really liked the art as well. However, for the first time, there were some spots where I wondered how a more dynamic artist would have handled some of the spots. While there were a couple of spots showing Superman's shadow for dramatic effect, these appear to have been more scripted and not necessarily Swan's idea. Oh, and the letters page mentions that they're still debating whether or not the Whites should divorce, leading me to believe that we still have quite a while before this subplot is resolved. Uh, but that's going to do it for this issue. Since the last episode hasn't actually come out yet, I don't have feedback, and I don't have any scans of the Meanwhile columns, so this is going to be the end of the episode. And playing us out this time is, since Every Breath You Take is still number one, we're going to do the number two song, which is Sweet Dreams Are Made of This by The Eurythmics. So until next time, take care, keep your feet on the ground, and keep reaching for the stars. Sweet dreams are made of these. Thank you for listening to Charlie's Geekcast. 
Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com, or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's Geekcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening, and good night. Give us a-